Contraception Pod. I'm Maya and I'm the Catholic. I'm Cassidy and I'm the Protestant. At a gala at Trump Hotel, never meeting each other prior, Cassidy quietly came up to me in the bathroom and said, What are your thoughts on contraception? This question turned into a never-ending discussion that we decided to take on a podcast. So join us as we discuss contraception and how it affects our world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode unknown. I don't know. I think it's like 17. I have no idea of the contraception pod. And today we're here with a very, very special guest, my mom. I know I said months ago on Instagram that I was going to have my mom on eventually. And I had y'all ask some questions, which sadly I've completely forgotten at this point. But welcome, my mom. And yeah, mom, you want to say hi? Hello, everyone. Yeah, so my mom is the one, I guess, that um, that got me, you know, introduced me to the concept of contraception and, you know, introduced me to what sex is and all that good and fun stuff. So today we're going to talk a little bit more about like where she got that background, um, you know, to teach me and how she went about teaching her children about contraception. And of course, I come from a family of nine kids. So kind of how that, um, that how the NFP slash contraceptive mentality played in her life. So yeah, I'm going to turn this over to Cassidy. Yes. Well, Mrs. Abraham, we're so glad you're here. I'm so excited. So fun fact to all our listeners, Maya and I do have this podcast together, but we're not just pro-life coworkers. Maya and I are actually friends and we hang out sometimes and Maya is super hospitable. So I end up at her house all the time. Poor Maya, I cannot get rid of me. So one of those days I was at her house and um, I got to meet Mrs. Abraham who is in visiting Maya from out of town. Um, and we got to talk a little bit and I got to hear a little bit of Mrs. Abraham's story about contraception. And I think our listeners are going to be so like encouraged and inspired as they listen in today. So Mrs. Abraham, tell us about your thoughts on contraception and and how they've developed over the years. Were you always against contraception? Did you always value NFP or did, was that something that changed for you? Well, so contraception wasn't something I thought a lot about as a kid, really. I just, um, I did grow up in Catholic schools and kindergarten through college And I can only really remember one time being taught about contraception being wrong. And that was in our sex ed class in eighth grade. And uh, uh, our teacher who was a convert and very um, passionate about um, NFP, she taught us girls about what that was and, and explained to us how contraception was wrong because it meant so much to her. I did grow up around a few big families at the schools I went to. I myself am an only child. And, uh, but um, I really was inspired by seeing big families. So, and I don't know if that's just because I was an only child um, or what, but I was very attracted to, to these, to these families that were, that were big in our church. And I just thought it was beautiful. Um, and I think I just had a secret desire for that as a, as a child. I mean, growing up contraception, I don't know if that was ever mentioned in my home. Um, uh, and my parents, we were, we, my parents are Catholic. Uh, my mom has passed, um, but we weren't practicing all the time and we weren't really, my parents, we weren't talking about contraception. I don't think ever. Just like I said, it was mentioned when I was 
in eighth grade. And, you know, even through all those theology classes and things in high school, I don't remember talking about it much, but I did know that she did make an impact on me in the eighth grade. And I did know that it was against my faith. Um, as a teenager, I kind of just didn't really care and think about those things or talk about those things. I really wasn't growing up in a culture of kids, even though I went to Catholic school, I wasn't really growing up in a culture around other kids and families in my high school that contraception was really uh, something that was an issue. I mean, it's just not something anyone talked about. I mean, even um, now abortion, that was talked about more, but contraception, it, it was pretty quiet. And I'm very surprised, you know, looking back that, that all those years in religious schooling, that it really wasn't talked about a whole lot. So it really wasn't until, um, until I started having children myself and, be, uh, you know, I, I started going to church more because I was getting my babies baptized and started thinking more and started maturing a little bit and thinking, you know what, I know it's against my faith to, to use contraception and that's something that I don't want to do. And I remember after Maya was born, like right after she was born, going and taking an NFP class. And that was my first time. And uh, just um, totally, totally just jumped in at that time and never looked back. Um, so, and in our church, uh, I did know that if you were using contraception or, um, yeah, can using contraception that you couldn't receive communion. At that time, I really wasn't um, going to church every Sunday. I wasn't taking my faith that seriously, but it was after she was born and I went to the NFP class, I decided, you know, I really want to receive communion. You couldn't receive communion at that time. Oh no, you just can't receive communion if you're using contraception. So I decided, you know, I want to receive communion and I want to get right with God. And, and so so began using NFP at that time and never looked back. And um, when my husband converted in 2007 to the Catholic faith was around the time that I really started my own conversion as well to my faith. Um, even though I wasn't contracepting, I, I, still, um, I still wasn't fully a devout Catholic. I, I was Catholic by name, but still not terribly serious. And at that time, I, I really became more serious and the concept of being open to life then really began. So while I was, while I wasn't contracepting, I wasn't totally open to life, meaning, you know, I did use NFP, but, um, but in 2007 was around the time or 2006 was around the time I decided, you know, I really have no reason to be to not be open to life and to having more children mm -hmm. and, and it, yeah I have, a, I have a couple questions actually going off of that the first is like um has to do with like 
obviously what I want to point out to our listeners what an impact like her eighth grade teacher made to her, which is why we've been talking about in this post-war generation. If we want to, you know, as the pro-abortion side likes to say, well, how are you going to prevent pregnancy? If you want to be a part of it, you know, it, it, it is, and it does have to do with teaching our kids in the school about the beauty of life and the beauty of the body and about NFP and that contraception is wrong. And I think that's something huge for Catholics is no, I, there's very few Catholics that will tell you that you cannot receive communion if you are contracepting, you know, um, there, you, you know, that's like unheard of. Right. And so that's something I wanted to, um, and, you know, just point out to our listeners. And the second thing I wanted to ask, um, in regards to that is what about when you were initially learning about NFP, um, after you had me, um, what about that? Like, what was the most pivotal moment when you took that training that you were like, okay, I really want to do NFP. Um, was it that moment of like, uh, you know, like I want to be right with God, you know, quote unquote, or is, was it like, um, what about like NFP learning about it really impacted you the most, um, in, in your training that first time? Hmm. Well, I would have to say that in taking the class was a realization of how important it was to a marriage mm -hmm. and how much it could impact a marriage to use contraception or not use contraception. So, um, and just getting a better understanding of why the church doesn't want us to use contraception and because it can harm us and also because of being open in our marriages and making the the fact that the act is sacred the sexual act is sacred and understanding more about that and realizing that it's so sacred that we have to treat it like it's sacred and um so that was that was fairly new to me at that time yeah and then, yeah church yeah and then going like on with that, like, like you mentioned, and, and, and for our listeners, some backstory. So my dad converted to the Catholic faith in 2007. He was Church of Christ. He was a Protestant before that. So the, how did you go about kind of having that conversation with him about NFP initially? Well, the part of the reason he was, he was completely fine with me doing NFP is one, both of us were already um, we already had the idea that we would love to have children. And so, so my husband is, has always been open to having children. So that really wasn't the issue, but he, so he was open to it also because he wanted me to be right in my own faith and to feel comfortable and to be able to receive communion. And that meant something to him, even though he wasn't Catholic, um, so it really wasn't too big of an issue for him. And like I said, um, he's always been open to having children. So, yeah. Yeah. And then I had one more question, but I can't really quite remember what it was. Um, but I guess like the whole openness to life, um, I, I kind of want to touch on that really fast. What was like you said, like you had no reason to not be open to life. So what was your um, discernment? How do you discern kind of um, when it's, you know, as a church says, like, um, you know, they, you know, it's, they basically like, 
the whole the church has a thing basically like we're not you, you not to use nfp to you know prevent pregnancy for selfish reasons but if you need to like medically or for a really like for really strenuous like reasons what what is your discernment process like for that well in the beginning um when i started in fp i did not really discern i just decided i'm in college i'm i need to do this or that and so i'm gonna have a baby this time or that time i really wasn't i was just open to having a child when i was ready and when i wanted to um it wasn't until closer to when um yeah 2007 that i started understanding more about being open to life and at that time i was still planning on going to medical school and I really thought, well, I have to be careful of when I'm going to have another child and different things. So when I was going through my own conversion and learning about the fact that it really needed to be a grave matter in order to, to decide that you're just not going to have children, um, I really started having a lot of inspiration um, because of the beauty of theology of the body and the Catholic Church and just how all the, I mean, I was learning so many beautiful things. And um, I did like a, what do you call it? A, a couples um, gathering once a month where all we did was study a theology of the body book. And for four years, I did a familiar program where we studied about Pope John Paul II's encyclicals. So, I mean, I did a lot of reading and understanding and group collaboration about all these things. And it was just so beautiful that what happens is just the beauty just trumps any of the reasons I thought that you could wait to have children because it wasn't just that I thought, oh, well, the Catholic church says we need to have, they don't say you need to have as many children as possible, but there's just a beautiful, there's just something so beautiful there that just overtakes a person. And when you're around other people that also see this, you, you're just, you just feel compelled to be more open and, uh, and you start seeing the beauty of having more children. And, and that's basically what happened. It was just this com feeling compelled by the beauty of all I was learning. Yeah, yeah, beauty plays such a huge, huge role, I think, and everyone, everyone's so inspired by beauty. And so, and the beauty of big families too. Um, and, you know, with that, like, I wanna to touch on like, on how you were going into the medical field. <clears throat> do you feel, do you think that, your journey with NFP and with like changing that contraceptive mentality to more of an openness to life. Did that change what your career goals were? Do you think that affected that at all? Oh yeah, completely. Cause as I was just learning the beauty of my faith and really understanding Pope John Paul II's vision of the family and understanding really what my real purpose was in this life I just just naturally started gravitating towards wanting to put my whole focus on just that. Um, I know I did, I mean, I worked for, a, I worked for a few years, but not, I did not end up going to medical school and I completely gave up on that when, um, during that conversion time. And I decided to give that up. And that was really hard because that was what I was working towards for so long. And, but I realized I was giving up for something much better and something that I knew for sure was going to satisfy me. And so, 
so yes, that just understanding the beauty of being open to life and the vision of the family that just did it for me. And I was, I just completely gave up on, on all that. And it was completely happy. Mm. There's a big change for you, like in, in the direction at the time, it sounds like, but it's, so what would you say, you know, to maybe girls listening in and maybe they're in a similar spot, maybe they're, you know, they have a career they're really interested in, but maybe they also see that there's a lot of value in focusing on your family, focusing on growing your family, having more kids, Um, you know, what would have been encouraging and helpful to you in that time when you were transitioning from, you know, a career focus to more of a home focus, what would you say maybe to a girl that's in a similar place right now? I would say to really dig deep on what you really want, because in our culture, we we really are pushed a particular direction. And I know that I did always have a secret longing to be a mother and to be a wife and to be home. Um, But it was a secret because I felt that it was something that wasn't of value to our world. Right. And so, so that was something that I just held to myself and, uh, and I didn't have a community that really encouraged that. So, so sometimes I, I wonder how, how many girls or women have that particular longing, mm-hmm. but feel that it's wrong and feel that they really should be doing something else. And so I would say that emotionally, just keep searching for joy and what satisfies. And, and I really feel that, um, that having a family is just a natural satisfaction to a woman mm-hmm. and not, not to, um, to deny that longing. Yeah. And what have you found satisfying about having your family, having a lot of kids and what has brought you joy and, and, you know, having a bigger family. And because I think our culture promotes the idea that if you have a lot of kids, like it's going to be like really hard, like pregnancy is really hard and parenting is really hard. And I'm sure that you could probably affirm that both are true, that both are challenging. Um, But where are you finding, you know, joys in that as well? Because our culture doesn't talk about those joys enough. Yeah. I I just really um, have a, all I can say is that um, it's so hard, it's so hard to, to put into words because, mm-hmm. because yeah, yeah, it is hard, but it's what else would I rather be doing? I mean, I mean, we're going, the fact is we're going to sacrifice for something. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever it is, whether you're single or married with 10 kids, whatever you do, you're, if you're going to be happy, you're going to be giving your life to something. And it's just mm-hmm. that, I wanted to give my life to having children. And so you're going to be doing something anyways. And, and people will say, man, you have your hands full. You must be so busy. And, and I'm thinking that um, their life is probably even more busy than mine. Cause honestly, <laughs> having all these children, Maya can see that I don't go around pulling my hair out. Like people would think, I mean, if anything, she understands being the oldest girl that, you know, I'm not doing, I'm not pulling all the weight. (laughs) Yeah. And what are some strategies for that, that you've learned like in parenting and maybe in like how you distribute chores and stuff in your family? How do you make sure that it's not too overwhelming for you as a mom of a big family? What are some good, like home management tips that have helped you to make that possible? So it's joyful and not overwhelming. Well, yeah, I've, I've learned definitely that, um, that I have to take care of myself. I have to take care of myself first and 
Maya can attest that I'm pretty good at doing that. <laughs> I, make, I make sure to go out with my friends. I make sure that I'm doing things that I love doing. And, and I'm not just going around running after children all the time. So um, that's my, the very first tip is really to make sure you can be happy and find your happiness. I'm not saying I was always happy, but I do know that now after, you know, this long that my joy is really the most important thing for an entire family is I really need to focus on having joy for myself because it's just so easy to focus on making sure the kids are happy, making sure everyone else is happy, but it, it just doesn't work unless I am too. And so focusing on making sure I'm doing well, which means that you, when I am focused on that, I just naturally make sure that others are doing things so that I'm not doing everything myself. Um, Maya, she did dinners um, for a number of years and uh, like some of the other kids, they get, you know, to do breakfast or lunches and, mm -hmm. and everyone really helps out. I mean, we have the kids do all the chores. I'm mostly the manager that makes sure everyone's doing their chores and making sure that if they're not, then they might get in trouble and have a consequence or something. But mm -hmm. I definitely know that, that I couldn't, you know, the blessing of a big family is you realize you really can't do it all by yourself. Yeah. And the children really, have flourished and the fact that they have to help if I had less kids I might be tempted to do maybe too much for them and I think that they have really flourished in the fact that I just can't and yeah and I think from a child's perspective you know as you know growing up in this I think when my mom started focusing more on her joy like as we grew older like there was something like that's been a journey for her um but like she you know in the past few years she's been focusing more on like making sure she's happy and when she's happy the whole house seems to be a lot more happier um and and, and I think as a daughter that's really impactful um to you too because you're not looking at your mom and thinking oh she's living this horrible life and she has to serve us all the time right I think as a child you inherently actually want to serve your mom and make her happy I think especially the little boys too but I remember being younger like you always want your mom to be happy um and, and you always want to please your parents but then it gets to this point of if you can't like please your parents there's a, like you know there's rebelling that happen happens and there's some studies on this but anyway like, I think that's really impactful to a child as well is seeing that your mom especially is happy. And that's what brings joy to your family. That's what brings joy to her marriage too. Um, brings joy to a marriage too. That's what makes the heart of the home Christ. That's what makes it God, right. Is making sure, um, it is, um, is that gratitude, um, and the joy that you see in your mom and something I want to, wanted to touch on. I have two things I want to touch on the first being, did you notice a change spiritually um, and maybe in your trust in God whenever you moved more towards this openness of life? <coughs> oh, most definitely. It is, I think, um, some, I have, I always say that, that um, probably most people don't have more than two because those first two are just, just feel the huge burden. And because of the way we think in those first two kids, we're just, we're just so worried about everything. We can't, we want to make everything perfect. We want to buy everything and have every single thing. And we think about their college when they're first born, you know, we just put so much burden on ourselves because we think it's all 
about us. And uh, I would say that when I decided to become open to life and I was around so you know, many people in, in beautiful communities that were open to life, I got to witness for myself and these other families just the way it was and the beauty and and how much faith they had. And I just totally had no reason to not have that same faith because I saw the other families and they were mm-hmm. not only thriving. I mean, their marriages were so happy and good. And um, and so if anything, I started thinking that th- that having more faith was going, you know, in this particular area was going to make my life better. And so, yeah, it really sounds like other families being a testament to you was a huge part of like your spiritual life and of growing your family and um to be a faithful family of god um now what would you say we've had some people reach out to us but what would you say to parents who don't feel like they can financially have a bigger family say they have two or three kids and they're like we could never have another kid it's just too financially straining what would your testimony be to that? Because obviously I know, like, you know, I, you know, for, you know, probably when you had two or three kids, you probably, or even one child, you're like, how am I even going to afford to have another one? You know, because, you know, oh, yeah. yeah. So like, what would your well, testimony to that be? And what would you tell these parents? When, when I decided to become open to life, I don't think your dad even had a job. I think we had lost, he lost his job and we were in debt from, he didn't, cause he didn't have a job and, and we decided to be open to life then. Um, <laughs> And, and thank God, because by the time Daniel was born, he had a job, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so, which, uh, which number child is Daniel? Like, how, where were you at in the time in the family? Number three. Number three. Number three. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so he had a job. And so, um, and, and I mean, we were never doing, like, financially great for many years. But, you know, once we had number three and four, we realized that, it didn't really have to be that expensive. Those first two kids and all the money we put into them, it really did not have to be that at all. I mean, you know, that whole painting a nursery, buying new furniture. And, you know, I remember I had an Eddie Bauer stroller or something for the first one. I mean, here you really, especially in the United States, you can get everything. I think with this last baby, I bought everything for under a hundred dollars. Uh, like, <laughs> and, and, the thing will- is, and the thing is like, we, you know, when you get to have a bigger family, you build up this trust in God. Like, first of all, like, I feel like we were more surrounded by a community. And so now we're part of a community where, you know, we can switch off when, when one family's not having a baby and another one is, oh, here's the clothes, here's the furniture, here's, you know, all of that. And that's something I'm always saying on the podcast to all our listeners is community is key. We're called into community. Um, without community, our lives are going to be so much harder, right? And we're going to, we're never going to realize like, oh, we're always thinking, well, oh, I'm just the one going through this. And oh, this is super hard for me. But it's like, there are so many families that also might be going through that same, that same journey too. And we have to be there to impact one another and to support one another. Without that, without that, people will resort to having fewer children. And that is why it's harder to have fewer children, because now families have to go pay thousands and thousands of dollars to have someone to watch your kids and all these things when we can foster these communities in our society and and have stay-at-home moms and be able to um support you know so you know just really support that culture of life and um 
one other thing I have, and then I'm sure Cassie has some other things, is how would you tell people who might be listening to this and are totally anti-contraception, how would you, like, what would you recommend for a lot of people talking about this subject with their children? Um, you know, you've, you've have quite a few children. I'm sure you've talked to like three or four of us, at least five, maybe about, you know, about sex, about contraception. How do you instill not just, you know, obviously there is that testimony that you give in yourself and in having a big family and being a part of these communities, but how do you navigate conversations concerning sex, contraception, and, um, and NFP? Well, let's see. <clears throat> I know the conversations do come up naturally, like um, just because we have other families around us and we'll just start talking about it and other kids, you know, and everyone listens and hears everything we're saying. Um, but as far as sex goes, uh, I usually do use particular religious books to start off with and read those to you guys. And then, um, and I know with you, when it came to NFP, uh, I did have you take some, uh, I hired an NFP teacher that, that had appointments with you and you would, you know, and she taught you directly how to do it. And mostly because NFP is not only for um, deciding to have children or not, it's also for health and to know your body. And so, you can use an FP whether you're married or not. And, and it's great for, uh, I know some Catholic doctors will use it. I can't remember the name of the, the system they use, NAPRO or something, but you can, you can um, chart and doctors can look at that in order to see, uh, to diagnose. So, so it's something that I introduced to you for health reasons and, um, you know, and talk to you a little bit about that, but, but mostly the teacher had taught you. And, and as far as sex, I remember with me and you, it was mostly books and some, some chats that we had. And, and then just the fact that our community talks about it a lot because sex is an important topic in the, in our Catholic faith. Yeah. And it, that is, that is true. Um, you know, in high school, I was homeschooled, but we went to this co-op. And so we were taught theology of the body by a priest and a nun. And, um, and of course, our, at, we are very, we're very um, blessed to be a part of the ordinaria and the two churches down in Houston that we attended, um, they, or I attended, they still attend, um, you know, are not, are very blunt about the subject, which is very good and, um, and very needed in our society. That's something that I'm working specifically on in the pro-life movement is raising up and encouraging and inspiring our pastors, our, our, our you know, our priests, our pastors, our youth pre pastors, our youth pastors, you know, our youth leaders to talk about this because, you know, youth are forming what they believe about this you know, from, you know, from, you know, from a child on, but really, you know, truly from like seventh grade to 11th grade, you know, oh, you know, I feel like junior, senior in high school, it's like, oh, I know it all, you know, I believe this, but like, you know, the beginning years of high school, end of middle school, though, it's so important for us to be impacting and telling them this is what is right. This is what is wrong. I mean, imagine if like an eighth grader who, you know, love their faith, because, you know, that's kind of the time you're getting into things before everyone else in high school shuts you down for not being cool. But, but you know, you're, you love your faith or something like that. And then, and then someone were to tell you, like, if you contrast, like you cannot receive communion, like, 
you know, eighth grades are, mm-hmm. eighth graders are talking about this stuff with their friends. They might be jokingly talking about it, but they're not not talking about it, you know? So it's so important that families get that first in and that our churches are the first ones talking about it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point, Maya, too. And, you know, Maya and I were both homeschooled, which I think we're both super thankful for. I think that's a big part of how we become the people that we are today. And when you have a parent who's homeschooling you, typically they're thinking a little bit more long-term about when they're going to introduce certain topics to you, not just certain subjects, like when we're going to teach you algebra, but, um, you know, when a parent is homeschooling, they know that they are also like sex education will fall on them and not just the school they're outsourcing their child to, which regardless of if parents are homeschooling or you're sending your kids to public school or private school, or Christian school, whatever, um, it is the primary responsibility of parents to educate their children. And, you know, to any parents listening in that, you know, sex education, fertility education for your child, that needs to start with you. And so I'd be interested to hear from Mrs. Abraham when, like, what about, like, about what age would you say is the time you begin to have these conversations with your kids? I would say around when they start hitting puberty, basically. So around 12, sometimes 11. And um, and sometimes it starts by them, you know, sometimes we don't have to, to start by just having some serious talk. I mean, we listen to different CDs and they just happen to be listening to them about these, you know, similar topics. And the younger kids listen to me and Maya, John, John chatting till who knows when about stuff like this. And we're not ashamed to talk about sex and there's, and it's a sacred act and it's beautiful. And maybe they're wondering, well, what, I wonder what that is. And, but it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And so, you know, listening to talks about it in front of them and talking about it, I think it's, it starts with that when they start hitting puberty and then, um, and then we, we do have our private talks. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and like, the, yeah. And like the boys would meet with more with dad, like when they hit puberty and I would meet with my mom and, um, and that, you know, that was important time. And like, cause you kind of got mom time in the evenings and, you know, you learned about your body and you learned about theology of the body. What was the name of that book, mom, that, that mother daughter book that we read? Oh Yeah. Um, purplish blue like little um helper or something little mother's little helper and and then there's all yeah mother's little helper and then there's also the the joy of the joyful mysteries of life or something like that and yeah and something that my mom did which I would encourage for any parents or new parents you know or any girls or any guys who are listening to this that might one day want to be parents uh, what my mom did was this thing called vocation prep that in some points in my life I hated but it really has impacted me um, a lot um, and a lot of the books I recommend to Cassidy are from the, the you know vocation prep everything I've talked about here is probably from a book that I've read that my mom would my, my mom would have me read for school which is literally when we would read books about relationships about psychology about spirituality about theology of the body um and we had to read those through high school uh, i don't think i ever completed my list necessarily so technically i'm not well, my mom's high school graduate but <laughs> but i i, I do want to ask what if there's something that you could say in under a minute to um to anyone who might be on the edge about whether or not they want to do NFP or just any parents or whatever was the most impactful to you about switching to NFP and about theology of the body and about learning about the beauty of sex, what would you say? Oh, wow. Trying to put everything, 
you know, into one or two sentences is just, it's all I, I mean, the word that comes to me is just joy. I just, and there's just not words that you can put to this whole concept because people just see us running around after children and changing diapers, but the joy, I mean, you see your little brother right now and all of us, and I mean, all of us, all the eight other kids and me and my husband, it doesn't matter how many kids we have. We look at him and we're just in awe. We're just in awe. And it's like the more kids we have, the more in awe we are. We're just like, this little person just did not exist. And now suddenly he just exists. Like what? just an amazing thing. Um, and I don't, I honestly don't think anything else could bring me more joy than that. I mean, you know, I just, I just can't think of anything else. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and, and that, you know, really makes you think it's like, why do you, why are we here? Like, why are we living on earth if it's not to be joyful, like joyful in the fact that God wants us to be with him in heaven. And then he gives us these, this joy of that small unity, first of all, uh, of that unity with him in the sexual act. And then also in the joy and the smile of a little baby child. And then, and, and then getting to rear children to get to be with him in heaven. Like there is nothing more joyful than that. And, you know, we can, you know, we could make the million dollars, we could be having all these jobs. And I'm not saying that is inherently a bad thing. Well, why would we do any of that if we're not living a life of joy, right? If we're missing the whole point of life. Um, so that's just something I want to, you know, encourage our listeners and really hope that this episode was encouraging to you and inspiring to you. Hopefully we'll have my mom on another time and get some more details, you know, the gushy details. But I think, I think that is it's the impact and the testimony. So if you're a big family, you know, mom of a big family or dad of a big family listening to this, like, thank you for the impact that you have made on so many other lives and the generations that you will impact for literally generations to come, because you will have children for generations to come because Mm -hmm. they get to be a testimony of Christ and of joy, this world, because that's what I always say. That's what it means to be pro-life. It means um, to promote the joy and the dignity of life in our world. Yeah. Cassidy. Yes. Thank you so much, Mrs. Abraham, for joining us. We're so glad you were here. And thank you, Contraception Pod listeners, for joining in. Have a great rest of your day. And an honor. Thank you.